Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Great to have you with us wherever you may be listening. My name's Mick Collis and joining me as always, former Wallaby Mitch Hardy. And Mitch, good to see you. Yeah, great to be back again, Mickey. It was uh, a fantastic Sunday for one and all. After our big weekend here in Perth, the uh, the Wallabies have bounced back. So looking forward to catching up with our guest today. Yeah, and, and not surprisingly, Heath Tesman will be hoping to join us a little later on uh, during the show. Apparently, he's still in front of the TV watching replays of those boring Springboks scoring those boring rolling mall tries. So hopefully he'll be with us. <laughs> Later on. Well, after being schooled by the All Blacks, the Wallabies took on South Africa last weekend with the Australians given next to no chance of beating the world's number one team. One man who had a better view of proceedings than most is the Wallabies young gun prop forward Angus Bell. Eddie joins us now. Belly, thanks for your time on the rugby wrap. No worries. All good. Now, lots to talk about, but as I mentioned, most people had written the Wallabies off. But on a personal note, it was your first test match in the starting 15. Are you claiming sole responsibility for that famous win? <laughs> definitely not. No, there's a lot of moving parts to that. And uh, no, it was definitely good to be a part of it. Now, you're still young, but you've been around the team for a while. What was it like to finally get that starting spot? Uh, no, look, it was good. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was an unreal moment. Obviously, earlier in the week, I got told that I'd um, be starting and obviously, to start with, you, you start trying to ask yourself some questions if you're, you know, if you're prepared and what boxes you need to tick before that game. Um, obviously, um, being a prop set piece is crucial, and against against a team like the Box, who uh, um, who won the World Cup through their set piece and their scrum and their mall and stuff, um, it was definitely a a big a big task. And um, no, it was an it was an awesome experience, and to I guess to to pack against, you know, some of the best players in the world and if not the best uh, in that sort of area, which I, I need to pride myself on, was an awesome experience. And you talk about the Springboks being, you know, their pack is one of the best in world rugby. So what was going through your head before that first scrum? Um, oh, personally, probably just my principles, you know. If I, as long as I stay towards my script and, and what I need to do, um, I, I know I'm strong enough I, and all the all the stats and stuff they do in the gym and stuff is all good. It's just all about technique and stuff. So just constantly reminding myself of, yeah, my, my principles and my strategy. So so what what are some of those things? Because, I, you know, I find it very interesting. I was, I was a row behind you blokes. I didn't know what was going on up the front. Mitch Hardy was so far away, we might as well not even been on the ground. But is, is there like a mantra or is there something that you think about that you've got to – is it angles or, or what is it? What And what are, you, what are you concentrating on when you are heading into that scrum and once you're in there? Uh, well, usually I've got probably six principles, which are your feet, your knees, your hips, your shoulders, chest and head, which all – um, have to be in sync, I guess, and all have to be in a line. And and you talk about um, probably at you know the highest level, you talk a lot about angles and sort of different tactics or um, or what teams do to dismantle a scrum. But from the start, which is a major thing, you, you have to have your, your your principles and your base set, and that's obviously in your in those six things that I just previously mentioned. So it's yeah, it's all about those six things and having them in order, and obviously heading. Um, straight in the scrum and uh, and checking those off before you take a bind to become an eight. And uh, like I mean, it's you hadn't. I, we spoke last week about the um, Wallabies have played against the New Zealand Super Rugby team, so you're a bit you're a bit familiar with them. Had you played against any of those blokes before? Uh, in the All Blacks, 
Yeah, no, against the in the Springboks. Um, I actually hadn't. I think I might have played against one of the second rowers. We uh, before COVID initially started last year, I played the Lions, and that was one of my last games before the COVID shut down our Super Rugby comp. Um, so I think I played against a couple of them, but no, I'd never really experienced um, uh, the, any of those blokes or, or that team before. No. So did that make it any any harder to prepare, sort of, because it was such an unknown? And obviously, you've obviously uh, heard you've heard about the power of these Springboks, but to actually then then go up against them? Uh, not really. You have you do have a lot of people in and around the environment who whose sole purpose and job is to find different videos and clips and understand who you're coming up against. So I guess the resources are all here for you to try and to to understand. Like for me, as a loose head, I try and get to understand my tight head and what he's up to and what he doesn't like and what he does like so I can try and manipulate him into, you know, getting him into a compromised position. So they do a lot of clipping and they clip it all up and almost I'm I'm terrible on the computer. So they just chuck it all into a file on this app and then you sort of do your own research. Um, So, yeah, everything's there for you to sort of uh, uh, check that box off, yeah. And and when a a scrum collapses... And do, do you have any idea which way, if the referee's going to give a penalty, which way he's going to go? No. Nah, nah. Usually, <laughs> usually after getting your head shoved into the ground, you, you stand up and then you, you look afterwards and you go, which way did that go? <laughs> so, um, so, no, you, so you have no idea when you're in there. It's, it's sort of just like there's so many moving parts in the scrum. It's pretty – it's difficult to point out whether um, a team is collapsing or not. Um if a team's extremely dominant, then it's kind of easy. But in, in, a, in a tussle, it's very, very difficult. So, Angus, is there a bit of gamesmanship that comes into that then? Have you learnt the trade of getting in the ref's ear and, and telling him, you know, a bit of a story about what he wants to see? Is that is that part of the game now that as front rowers, you've got to try and work the referee as much as you've got to work the opposition? It's no so I've, I've been saying it for yeah. weeks. It's always a lottery. Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's not not really. It's if you, if you paint a good picture, and, and and that's obviously going forward, square and straight. It, you can obviously uh, change the perception of what the referee thinks is happening. Um, but that's all, I guess, in dominance. And if you look, uh, if you look at your balance of your setup, and you, you obviously um, keep everything going square, and, and you set up well, you engage well. It's uh, and you present a good pitch to the referee. It's it's that, that's probably the only thing you can do. Um, in that sort of situation and, and obviously try to keep the scrum up, but sometimes it's virtually impossible. So, um, no, nah, it's, it's all about sort of getting your own stuff right. There were a couple of times where uh, the, the Wallabies, you know, knocked, we saw it right at the very end. Basically, their Wallaby scrum was better than the, the Springbok scrum. Is that, uh, like as, as a forward, when you, when you have a situation like that, is that as good as it gets on a rugby field? Oh yeah, hundred percent. If you if you have a scrum to win the game, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. Like we had that opportunity, luckily enough, uh, earlier in the year in the France series, where um, we had uh, lots of scrums and we were able to get lots of penalties, and that entails a lot of points. So um, it is it is a great feeling dominating that set piece, um, and it was awesome to the guys that came off the field uh, at the end. You know, you got slips. Is probably the most experienced loose head prop Australia's ever had. Um, probably one of the best as well. He's unreal, and and then you've got obviously Taniella, who's probably the most powerful uh, man in world rugby. So mm. it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good uh, bench to have, um, and and th- and that's obviously targeted as well, bringing 
um, bringing Taniola on the field is, is is a um is a luxury not many teams get to have. Um, and that's he's done it for years now where he's come on the field and he just gets penalties. So that's just um, no, nah, it's a, it's very good. One thing we've we've been discussing throughout the year is is whether you'd start Taniola or bring him off the bench. Obviously, it's a tough one for you to answer, but, but if you were the coach, what would you do? Would you start him or would you bring him off the bench? Where do you think he's got the most impact? Uh, in the 23, mate. It doesn't matter where he is. Uh, fresh, any loose head in the world would still, it'd be the same result. He's an unbelievable player and he's obviously, he's got those tree trunk legs. So he just, no, nah, he's, he's extremely uh, powerful and wherever he is in the 23, it doesn't really matter. He's always going to have an impact on the game. Now, I had the pleasure of, of calling a Super Rugby game between the Force and the Waratahs a number of years ago with your dad, Mark. And we had a question from one of our listeners who wants to know that given your dad's lack of skill, size and speed, are you adopted? <laughs> no, yeah, there's a lot of... No, yeah, yeah, definitely. I am. <laughs> I've got my mum's skills. No, it's definitely not my dad's side. <laughs> now, um, I saw a bumper sticker on a card today that said there is a god and underneath it someone had written and his name is Quade Cooper. Were you surprised, firstly, when he was brought into the squad and, secondly, when he was named to start? Uh, no, definitely not. He was brought into the squad to add value in the fact that he's played so much rugby and he's obviously vastly experienced. And um, he, he was training so well and obviously I trained with him. So he um, had been training the house down. So for him to start was just, uh, I guess, uh, it was good for Noah to get a bit of a break. You know, he's been playing for so long and starting for the Wallabies. Um this year, so it was good to get him to learn off Quaid, and then he ended up getting the start, and then obviously um, did what he did on the weekend. So, no, nah, Quaid's been unreal, and he's an awesome player with uh, and a, an awesome person as well, who who has really helped all the young blokes. Sort of, you know, uh, it's not all about footy; it's about life as well. And he's he seems to have the balance now, and, and we're just all learning off him. So it's awesome. That's great. And and Mitch, did Dave any is Dave any a genius, or did he get lucky? Uh, no, I, I think he he made a, a fair decision in bringing Quade in. He obviously brought him into the squad to start with for his um, probably experience and and his maturity, I suppose, which you could probably say that he has matured a fair bit now. And then, yeah, probably a little bit of a gamble to throw him out there for the Savarigan test. But obviously he saw something in Quade and the way he was conducting himself around the group and around training where he, th- he thought he could bring that leadership, uh, the leadership skills and the, be able to, give direction around the field to the team. And that's that's what he delivered on Sunday. So, um, yeah, probably a bit of a gamble, but was it a fair decision based on what he's seen over the last whatever many weeks? Yeah, probably had that at his advantage and he, he rolled the dice and it came up trumps for him, which is great. Um, and what it's been able to do is now, I think, what that self-belief and that belief in the team and the guys around him and also the extended squad, how important that is for the extended squad as well. To see something like that is really important. And Billy, he, he didn't celebrate his kick. He was all very zen. How was he in the room afterwards? Was he any, any emotion? Like it was, I think anyone else in the world, if they kicked that goal, they'd be going nuts. But he, he just was just very composed and very calm. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a very, yeah, it's a, um, in the change rooms after, very composed, very calm. We still have the championship left and we didn't start it well. So, um his mindset is probably, as as all of ours are, is to you know get onto the next job, and that's South Africa again this week. So, um, no, he was very calm and collected. It was obviously a good result, but we definitely didn't play to the best of our ability, and we definitely have a lot of things that we need to fix. So, 
There's a question from me, Belly. The Front Rowers Union, is it alive and well? And what's the current culture within the Front Rowers Union? How is it working at the moment? What's the dynamic? Oh, it's pretty good, man. Like, it's probably, yeah, it's the, it's the best it's the best and tightest group that I've been a part of. Um, you've got a mixture of heaps of, you know, really experienced um, older guys and, and very good youth. So, it's no, nah, it's awesome. Like, I guess having Greg Holmes, who's just come back into the squad, mate, he's packed a million scrums and so has Slips. So, and, and then you've got Alan Alatoa, who's probably one of the best tight ends in the world, running around, who's unreal and an unbelievable leader. Um, and yeah, it's 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 an awesome thing to have. And you know, you got Scotty Seo and Frobard. So there's just so many genuine quality front rowers that are um, that are all working together to get to the same result, and that's winning footy. So it's no, nah, it's an awesome environment. It's an awesome union. And in the inner sanctum there of the FRU, mate, you got any clicks or a little bit of cultural stuff going on? Like, do you go out and ribs on out for ribs on a Monday or something like that? What's what's happening? Yeah, of course. No, there's always we always have a front row feed. You know, get out and have a big steak together. No, it's good. No, it's always excellent. Good. And back to the ball skills. Mick mentioned it earlier. Do you think? Do you think it's so much so important these days for front rows to have that extra bit of ball skills as their skill set, other than just being a good scrummager? Um, that mobility around the park and the ball skills, how much work are you putting into that area of the game? Because Dave Rennie's talked about improving skills right across the team. How much are you as a front rower sort of priding yourself on that being a point of difference? Yeah, no, he always talks about having a point of difference and whether that be your ball carry, defence or your speed around the field, you know, that's something that he's probably really pushed me with is, um, is you know, bringing that point of difference, you know, having – you know, almost being like an extra back row on the field is something that you know I, I need to get better at. And um, no, but they definitely still nail down the fundamentals of being a front rower, and that's scrum, ball, line out, and breakdown. So um, no, he's definitely working us on in every single facet of rugby. And Billy, you're, you're 20, 20 years old still. Yeah, yeah. So playing professional rugby, famous win on the weekend. Are you living the dream? Is it everything you hoped it'd yeah. be? No, definitely. No, it's it's I'm unbelievably lucky and. You know, I, my parents are still in Sydney, so they're in lockdown. And, and no, just very lucky and very um, grateful for where I am and um, and what I'm doing right now. And that's playing footy as a job. So no, it's 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 unbelievable. It's unreal. Now, Tessman's thrown in a question. He wants to know how have you found your development through the school under twenties super and wallabies programs, especially playing in the front row, which is a position that you're not originally believed to develop in in until later on. So yeah, how's that development been for you? Uh, look, I'd say that for me, I've always been, uh, I guess, capable of the stuff around the field and, and, and in the line out and stuff. It's always been around my scrum and that physicality of it. You know, like when you scrummage against older men, you can tell the difference between that and 20s level. Um, but I guess it was just like the way I got accelerated through the system uh, came out of uh, schoolboys and straight into 20s. And I guess I think 20s is the biggest learning curve for me because I came out against uh, – I was still 18 and I was playing 20-year-olds and they were a lot stronger than me. So that um, that preseason leading into my second year of 20s, which eventually I ended up making the Wallaby squad, was massive for me. And that preseason really got me fit and got me strong enough to compete at that level. Uh, I probably wasn't a strong uh, – I probably had a massive strength gains in that in that department. Um, through SNC staff, and then I guess yeah, that acceleration through. You know, we had heaps of props got injured. I think last year, which was my debut year for the Tars, and then 
I ended up playing a few games off the bench, which was unbelievable because I was told I was not going to play till later in the year. And then um, I ended up playing off the bench and then the round three against the Melbourne Rebels, I ended up starting, which is pretty cool. Um, and then from there, I, I ended up stringing a few games together until COVID hit starting for the Tars. And then I ended up playing really well. And then obviously I, I got um, some attention from uh, Renz and the coaching staff and uh, that's when I was brought in that year for development as a development player um, and that was awesome like to learn and, and scrum against those blokes as a development player was unbelievable as well and then I ended up um, the back end of that year when Slips broke I think he broke his elbow um, Scotty came back into the frame and ended up starting and then uh, I, I was lucky enough to to um, debut off the bench and uh, the, then I've just been again getting 20 minutes here and there and um developing my game and getting used to the high level of scrummaging and physicality at this level and i guess yeah that that's through um i guess the filtering through the system and um but definitely like that first year my, that preseason was huge for me and getting stronger and i still am getting stronger and trying to learn as much as i can now so no nah, it's been awesome and i guess yeah it's been pretty accelerated yeah did and did you find that your development once you hit that Wallaby program was it was it another level of acceleration of development? Like was it yeah. was it definitely a step up? Yes, definitely. It was a massive step up. Like I, I now scrum against Taniela every day. Yeah. Almost every day we train, I scrum <laughs> against him. So yeah, you go from my first session where I got absolutely ob- obliterated by him to you know slowly getting better and slowly working him out and slowly getting more experience, and then you slowly start to compete and then you want to dominate, and then you find out different where areas of tactical now so where you can you can uh, eventually dominate the scrum and um no nah, it's cool it's but yeah it's definitely scrummaging against better blokes definitely makes you a lot better so it's no nah, it was it was an awesome awesome experience and is it a big confidence game as well just as you said you as you, you kind of learn you get better and better that builds your confidence and and that sort of makes you then feel you can compete yeah definitely like i guess you get confidence scrumming with people you're you're familiar with uh, the more you scrum with someone, the better you feel, and it's it's definitely a front three thing. If you if you have good connections with your prop and your hooker, your tight head and your hooker, you you are laughing. Look, it's mm. it makes it a lot easier. Um, but yeah, no, the more you scrum, the better you get, definitely. And then just looking for oh, one more question from Tessman. He said, "Who have you learned? Who have you learnt off the most?" Uh, well, I, initially I learnt a lot off. Well. He's uh, one of his good mates, Tetra. Tetra, Tetra oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Tetra Faulkner from the Tars. He initially came in and, and was playing tight head, and he's played tight head and loose head both at Wallaby level as well. So I learned so much off Tets and um, and just around the the technical side of scrummaging because he's not the biggest prop in the world, but mm. oh, he's strong and he knows how to scrum. So uh, a lot of lot I learned a lot of um, Tets and then uh, a few of the other blokes like coming in here and off Scotty and slips and stuff. So. That was also um, awesome, and and Greg Holmes who's just come in, who's a tight head that knows a lot of stuff about scrummaging on both sides, but especially tight head, and he, he gives me a lot of feedback, so it's really good. And looking looking ahead to this week, um, what you said that you think you can improve. What have you been working on? Not just not necessarily just you, but the team uh, heading into this weekend's game against the Box. Yeah, our set piece, our mauling has been a massive work on. You know, they scored three more tries, so mm. when right we'll get a lot more opportunities and how do you counter that 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 line out five meters out uh, you, uh we we got a lot of penalties against us for early engagement so probably getting that timing right and then uh 
I guess, a few roles uh, we slipped up on. So it's, yeah, it's just about getting that cohesion and, and, and that getting on the same page and going forward. And can you give us any tips on, um, on have you guys been told who's starting this week? Uh, yeah, yeah we, <laughs> the team gets selected yesterday. Yeah. So are, are you starting again? Uh, the team's <laughs> he, may not be, he may not be allowed to say <laughs> that. He's I got know. a smile on his face. He's talking to us. Let's just assume he is. All right, but we, we won't hold. We won't hold him to anything. We won't hold him to anything. And mate, we know um, you, you're going out with a, a young lady who was uh, in the Olympics, and you caught up with her in Perth. Her father's yeah. a fellow by the name of Phil Kearns. Has he been in your yeah. ear trying to trying to teach you things? <laughs> no, when I'm in Sydney, sometimes yeah, definitely, but. Uh, no, he's, he's been he's good and he you know gives me my little tips and we always talk about it when I go over there so it's not nah, it's good but yeah she she came over to Perth for a couple of weeks which was awesome because a few of the couples got to get in when they could and uh, no it was really good and you've got to be careful about that too Angus because Mix Mix obviously had a complex across his rugby career that you know he's always playing second fiddle to an Olympian um, being yeah. married to an Olympian so um, now that you've represented Australia you're on level par with your Olympian partner so mate, that's I, good I've represented I've represented Australia Mitch I've represented Australia too mate don't forget oh, so I forgot about that we're all, so we're all square in my household that's all yeah. <laughs> um, well look Billy mate that's great we'll um, we won't keep any longer we we do appreciate your time um congratulations on on a great win and on getting your first start i know there'll be many more so good luck this week and thanks for joining us on the rugby wrap thanks very much thank you so much for having me mick my pleasure thanks, thanks angus thanks, good luck mate. Thank you. keep thanks, going well thank you bye so that was angus young oh, angus young <laughs> angus young acdc no so that was what, that was wallaby prop angus bell uh, and when, you know when he first, I'm I'm amazed he's very you know for a 20 year old kid like he's very he's eloquent, great. very eloquent. Yeah, he's for great, a start. and he's having he's having fun, Mick, isn't he? Oh, mate, he's having a ball. And you know when he first started playing Super Rugby, I thought it was a tough ask because he was so young, but he's just handled that with ease. He's amazing. Yeah. He's going to be around for a long time. I like the idea, you know, when he was talking about that, you know, the more you scrummage against the top quality players, the better you get, and that's that's been evidence in his game, like. Certainly when he's first started out the Taj, you go, oh, man, is this kid the real deal or not or whatever? But you look at his uh, performance off the bench the other week and the start on the weekend, you can't fault it. Like, it was really good, really good quality. And, he, um, you know, he's obviously relishing the opportunity and you just hope that a kid like that is going to be around for a long time to come. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to put him on the spot and, and ask him who else was playing, but I reckon he will start because I know... Uh, yeah. Alan Alatoa is out. I think he's gone back. His wife's having a kid, I think. So I'm pretty sure right. he'll start. Um, do, will Quaid hold his spot? Or oh, for sure. No, I, so. I reckon O'Connor will go to 15, mate. You reckon I he'll reckon. go to 15? Yeah, yeah, okay. Which I think would be fantastic to have those two guys out on the field. Who'd have thought that we'd be happy with O'Connor and, and Quaid? Quaid in the same team. In the same Again. team, you know, <laughs> four years down the track from when it all went to custard with them. So, no, nah, it's terrific. Well, it was a big weekend for rugby with the Wallabies, as we mentioned, getting up over the box on Sunday and Cottesloe coming from behind to beat Palmyra in the Fortescue Premier Grade Grand Final on Saturday. And the captain of that Cottesloe side was Tobias Hoskins and he joins us again on the Rugby Rap Tobes. Congratulations, you're making a bit of a habit of this. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me again. Um, excited to be back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> big weekend. Um, and, yeah, enjoying the uh, enjoying the spoils after for the next couple of days, which has been great. But back home now and uh, getting settled. 
Now, the three-peat, it's a pretty significant achievement, especially given you had some changes in your squad from last year. What's been the secret to Cot's success? To be honest, I think the main thing over the past couple of years, yes, we've had changes in the squad, but we still had that core group of guys that have been through. I think there's about six of us now that played in all, all, all three grand finals. Um, that core group sort of stuck together and, and with new boys coming in and out, people retiring, people changing clubs. Um, we've been able to keep that sort of core group of, of, of leaders and, and um, in the team. And then, as you probably would have seen over the year, we've really relied on sort of our set piece over the last couple of years. So that's sort of been a... a a cornerstone of our sort of game plan and how we want to play the game. So we've been very lucky. And Mitch, uh, you were calling the game. I heard you say, and Tobes, I'm not, have you watched the replay yet? Yeah, I did. of course I, he does. I'm yeah, of course he does. I was a little bit dusty watching it. So it's on. It's on. Re, it's on. It's whatever it's called. Yeah. Where it keeps, look, on loop. It's on loop. On loop. But, yeah. But Mitch, I heard you say that you didn't think Cot would come back when they were down. What did you like about him? Well, they stuck to it. I mean, I actually, and this isn't only because Tobes is on the show, but I. But he managed the game as a skipper of that cot group really well uh, um, on the weekend, I thought. And that last 20 minutes where I thought cot were gone, you know, coming out of halftime, I thought cot were gone for money. Pally score one more try. It's put down your glasses. Cot's not going to be able to peg them back. But the longer the game went on, you actually go, you know what? Pally is starting to fold here. And the cot forward pack in the last 20 minutes through the bench, through the use of the bench in particular, absolutely steamrolled Pally and Pally had no answers their line out went to crap uh, the scrum was going nowhere and it was just a remarkable turnaround so Tobbs that last 20 minutes what talk us through what was going on in the team the psyche of the boys did you feel that there was all momentum start to shift back your way in that last 20 yeah it sort of happened I guess when, when they scored that first try in the second half we were behind the poles I just brought the boys in I said we're okay like we've really built on resilience this year and we've been in situations, for example, last year in both the semi-final and grand final where we'd been behind and we had to sort of work back. So the main thing was for me and some of the senior, I guess, the leaders in the group was just to keep the boys calm, not to panic there. Um, we knew we're, we're an older, more experienced team than Palmyra. They're very young. It's their first grand final. They're going to be very excited. We knew they'd come out with that enthusiasm, but I knew if we could keep in striking distance um, within that last 20 minutes, our experience and our forward pack would, would come. Um, we were very lucky to have someone like Andrew Reddy playing hooker for us. And he just mentioned to us at scrum time, we probably didn't get the pay we wanted in the first half from our scrum. But he said, it will come. It will come 55, 60 minutes in. Just keep the pressure on um, and, it, and and we'll, we'll get the reward. And then we also, I, I sort of had the feeling that I, I knew the depth on our bench was going to be a little bit stronger than Palmyra's. Um, and as you sort of alluded to, the, the changes that came on, the guys that came on really made a difference. I thought Robin O'Sullivan, who came on the back row, was, was, was great for us. Um, his energy at the breakdown and his carries, just, you know, someone like me, I was getting a bit tired, you know, looking up and seeing him do that sort of gives you guys, the guys around you that sort of extra lift. Um, but yeah, I think just leaning on that experience that we've had before coming from behind um, and just yeah, keeping the guys calm that, hey, we're still in this, we can win this. And as it started turning, you can just see the boys' belief starting to, to grow and that really helped us. And Benny Meredith coming off the bench at 10 as well. He seemed to spark a few things up, but um Kamara, the, the number 12, give us a little bit of background about him because I thought he was one of your best on the weekend. Yeah, Panachet, um, great addition this year. He, he actually played for Palmyra last year. So he, he's been away. I think he played in Sydney, played in West Harbour with Cohen Masson, um, uh, six slash seven there. So um, he came back and played for Palmyra, I think, the back end of last year. And I remember playing against him in the semi finals. Like, this guy's really good. Um, and 
you know, our, our coach, Ryan Westaway, the magician, um, sort of got wind that he, him and Colin, or I guess Colin put him in contact with Westy saying, hey, he's interested in potentially changing clubs. Um, and then he's been down, I guess, yeah, got him down this year, did a full pre-season with us. Um, and he's just gone from strength to strength. He's been a great addition, um, especially with someone like Ali Haining going down a couple of weeks ago. Having that depth and that centre pairing, he, he was huge for us. Um, but he's been a great addition, just not just on the field, but also culturally. We, we love having him around the club. He's a really funny guy. Um, so he brings that sort of, you know, that, that joker mentality too to the change room, which is great. Yeah, and that's that's what wins grand finals. Just those blokes being able to step up in that environment. Cohen Masson was, again, a massive, yeah. massive effort from him on the weekend. Peter Kimlin didn't end up getting on the field. What was going on there? So quite a funny one with Peter. I think he uh, he came down to play a bit of third grade earlier in the year. Um, as he knows a few guys from Canberra that play at the club. Um, and he played third grade one week, and he played second grade the week after, and he came from the bench one week. And he, and he actually has just been an amazing guy. Like, you think some that's come from, I guess, professional rugby, Brumbies, uh, Grenoble, Wallaby caps, uh, would come down and uh, not that he's better than everyone, but just, you know, he would take a cruise, not take it too too seriously but he was um as soon as he sort of stepped into our team he was fully invested in everything we did um and unfortunately he booked um a, a dad daughter camp probably six months before i think he was in thinking of playing um that he, him and his daughter were going on and just happened to line up for the grand final so um unfortunately he wasn't able to play um but saying that he um sent me and hugh huppert to sort of the other line out captain in the team um all the clips of palmyra's lineouts from the, the semi-final an analysis on them, saying this is what they do. Uh, and then he came down Tuesday and Thursday last week, ran the reserves, ran the pally lineouts for us against us. Um, so when it came to game time, we sort of knew what the, they were doing and how to defend them. And I think that really showed mm. in our dominance at the set piece, both in our attacking and defensive lineout. Um, he, so he, it's amazing to have someone like that come down and share his knowledge um, with, with, I guess, club footy players like us. And it was just great to have him on board this season. It says a lot about Peter as a bloke doesn't it, to do that? Absolutely. As I said, someone coming from, you know, playing for the Wallabies and, and, and you know, being a professional athlete for so long, um, to, to, to care and, and want to do that for us, uh, it was just amazing. And it just, and he, he was great. He came down on Sunday and Monday uh, and celebrated with the boys. So he's really bought into the, the team. Um, I don't think he'll be running around next year, but he just, I think he, he, uh, he really wanted to help out because I think he felt a little bit bad that sort of he couldn't play. But I do respect um, his decision Um that it is, the, the, the camp came first. I know, I'm sure Westy and uh, other coach John won't try to talk him out of it, but he stuck <laughs> to his guns. <laughs> and, and Tobbs, we saw some footage post-game of you in the change rooms after the song, Tick in a Box of some sorts. You've got to talk us through the Tick the Box. What was it all about? Was it was that UWA can get stuff for pinching players <laughs> box or is it what, what was the box? No, no, no. So this is something I'm... We started in 2019 when Westy took over as coach. Uh, in 2018, the, the West Coast Eagles um, did a similar thing where they sort of had certain boxes that they wanted to tick throughout the year. And obviously, 2018 was the year the Eagles won the premiership. And it was um, friends, family, uh, finals and flags were their four boxes. So we, um, Westy put together something very similar that we're in friends, family, fitness, which is all ticked sort of at the end of preseason because the last three years we we um, been successful in the competition. We've really put an onus on being the fittest team out there and being able to out, outlast our opponents. Um, so, you know, by the end of pre-season, we want to be, you know, not just friends, we're a family um, and, and we, we're fit. The next box was finals. So we got to tick that box after we, um, after the last game against Calamunda when we, we secured our place in the finals. 
and then yeah, the last three uh, the last three years has been quite fun going back to the change room after the uh, after the the grand final and ticking the flags box. So it started as flags and it started as um, back to back, and then this year was the three peat. So um, yeah, it's been a bit of a tradition that we've done uh, the last three years, and it's just yeah, it gets a bit silly in there, which is um, it's always it's, it's a bit of fun, and it's just something we've yeah, culturally we've 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 done, and it's been successful, and we've just kept going. And 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 the best thing about it, everyone that's come to the club that may not have been there in nineteen or twenty is just bought in and wanted to do the same thing. And Tobbs, we know you're a good club man. How much uh, inspiration did you get from the girls winning the flag early on in the day? Um, it was a terrific come from behind win uh, from the girls, from the she girls. How much uh, how much buzz was around the club and, and at the ground at the time? Did you guys get to see most of that game? And what was the celebrations like um, post? <laughs> no, we did. Um, it, it, it was great because I think obviously the last couple of years we've had our reserve grade in there and winning it as well. So we've sort of done it in twos at least over the last couple of years. And, and Westy's quite superstitious, so. We've, um, we all get to the club a little bit earlier, about midday on grand final day and, you know, get strapped and do all our preparation there. Um, but we had the, the girls game up on the big screen, streaming live, and um, it was great to see them uh, come from behind and win that sort of last play. Uh, it sort of reminded us of last year's grand final. Um, and they're a big part of our rugby club. Um, they've been a lot of, uh, like a big aspect of cultural uh, fun and enthusiasm to our club. Um, ladies Day is obviously very big for them. Um, but yeah, it was just great to see the girls going, I think from 2019 where they didn't win a game all season and within three years have sort of turned that around from, you know, struggling for players in 2019 to winning a few games in 2020 and then, you know, winning in the premiership in 2021 is just a, a huge achievement for the girls and the staff there, um, the coaching staff and the management of that team. Um, and it, it's great just to see success in any grade um, at, at the club. And yeah, the celebrations were, were, were really were, were good fun on Saturday night, good fun. And a couple of questions from Heath Tesman. Which which of the three finals has been the most enjoyable, the most rewarding? Um, last year's was pretty special, I think, just just the way it all unfolded. The 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 um, kick off after the, the siren. Yeah, the kick off the siren. Yeah. and it was so drama, and it was so obviously so huge rivals there. Um, so that that was probably the, the most, I guess, yeah, movie like entertaining one for me. Uh, it was quite interesting speaking to someone like Kaiser reading a few guys that had played in all the finals after the game, this third one, still just as fun. And I loved it just as much, but it was just great sort of sitting back and seeing the younger guys that won their first mm. one and how excited they got. It was good. It was just sort of be able to take it a bit more in and just, um, yeah, re- really happy for the guys that hadn't won one. For example, like someone like Panache who had come from, come from Pally to win and, and then to go and do it. It was just great to see their their enthusiasm, their excitement. But yeah, last year maybe was probably the sweetest. But again, this I'll never get sick of winning. Uh, mm. it, it's just amazing, and and to do three in a row is something um, very special that not many people get to sort of do. I know Mitch you and the UWA guys have done five or so, but um, I'm, I'm still trying to get there with that. <laughs> has has, an, has another Premier Grade team done three in a row? I think no? West or did West. it in the early thousands. Yeah, two. Yeah, that's right. Two or two thousand three, two thousand five. Yeah, when Greg Plimmer was captain of West, Dwayne Grace, Scotty Batters, all those boys were down there. Yeah, yeah. So I remember I had that in the back of my mind. This is very rare, um, and it's something we wanted to achieve, and something just a personal goal for myself. That Mm. you know, uh, to to get one was special in two thousand nineteen, and then just to do it for the next couple of years again has just been a, a crazy ride, and I still love it and still enjoying it. So it's it's been great. I know you blokes always take it, you know, one game at a time, but as you were approaching the pointy end of the season, were you, were you expecting to be playing Palmyra in the grand final? 
Um, to us, no. We, yeah, probably not, actually. Um, Netties have been set the bar the whole season of the way they've been playing and, and the sort of dominance they've had across, especially the UWA as well, um, the way they sort of finished in, and then into the Super 6. Um, and then Palmyra, obviously, in that last game of the season, had to win to, to, to or you know, draw to, to make the four. So, you know, they were fighting with West for that last spot in the Premiership. And then... Um, they got in, and I knew Pally were a good team. They've always been great. Um, and we know their backs are dangerous and they can score from anywhere. So I didn't write them off against Netherlands, but you just you thought, you know, Nettie's being a bit more experienced. Guys like Sheldon Tawara and stuff there now, um, playing 10 for them. I thought, oh, they're probably, you know, at Nettie's, may not get the job done. But then coming off the the, the ground at the semi final and, and, and hearing the score, it really um, put a rocket up us that you know, Pally are here to play. And, you know, beating Nettie's by 30 points in the semi final was no easy feat. Um, so it really, I guess, yeah, we knew we were in for a tough time. We knew it wasn't going to be easy. And, and yeah, I, I'm grateful we got to play them because I think they're a really um, great up-and-coming club. Um, Jack Rod, their coach, has, has provided a pathway for a lot of their juniors to play Premier Grade now. Um, and it's sort of a, a great um, model for other clubs to try and get their juniors into the into their senior team. And then for, to go from, you know, semi-finals last year to final this year, they're going to be very tough um, to beat over the next coming years. Yeah, that, that's a great story. Pally's story about so many juniors in that in that Premier Grade team. That's um that's probably setting the standard, I guess, in that in that regard. Absolutely. And that's something I think Connoisseur, we've been trying to work on for a while now is to rebuild our junior club. Because um for a while there it was it was quite um yeah, quite shallow in terms of numbers. Um, but the, there's a few guys that have been down there, David Payne, Eduardo, uh, Mike Gallagher that have really put a lot of time into our junior club now and we've really I think we had like four four or five under six teams, you know, this year, plus a lot more junior teams. So, yeah, I think Palmyra definitely the model moving forward of what you want to sort of see in, in WA club rugby. Um, and if we can get to sort of close to achieving that with a few more juniors coming through the ranks here at Cottesloe and playing senior footy, that, that'd be great. No, it's only, oh, yes, go, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Perth club rugby season is not quite finished yet, Tobbs. We've got a an elite development series that's kicking off soon. Are you a little bit yep. bitter you didn't make the Perth gold squad, mate? Um, a little bit. <laughs> I guess you, you would that you would that better be an adjust reward for your season skippering the premiership winning team for the last three years, and you didn't make Perth gold. <laughs> that mate, it, 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 it comes with the territory. I, I would have loved to play if I got picked, um, but there are a lot of really good back rowers out there in the comp. Um, there's a lot of younger, probably more enthusiastic guys in the, 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 for me at the moment. But yeah, a little bit bitter, but it is what it is. And, and the coaches have sort of seen look throughout the season, and maybe they just. They're looking for some of the bit more X factor than, than the old guy that will hit a, hit a lot of rucks and have a lot of ruck arrivals. So and um, what do you, I understand it. And what do you think about that series as a as a viable sort of development program post season? Are you a fan of Perth Gold and what they're trying to do with the development squad in the 19s and in that three way comp? Definitely, I think it's it's really important we have that sort of next level at the moment, especially while there's no no tours or no tournaments with COVID. I think it's really important that the, the best in club rugby get to a chance to sort of show. Um, uh, show their talent against some, uh, not better opposition, but just more, I guess, elite opposition in the sense of just representative sides. Just so, again, force coaches, force people can have a look and, you know, you never know, someone could have a blinder in this and potentially get a pre-season, uh, get a chance to train with them and then you never know. So probably not for me being a bit older, but definitely for the younger guys that are looking to come through, I think it's a really good shot for them to sort of play against some high-level op- opposition. Um, and then potentially have a shot, you know, to move up into semi-professional, professional rugby. Yeah, I think it's a great concept. Another question from Heath Testman. You can tell he's a prop forward. He wants to know, <laughs> which Mad Monday was your favourite? 
<laughs> um, this one was a little different. I had, um, I had a daughter 10 days ago. So after the semi-final uh, against UWI, I, um, my wife, uh, gave, we, gave, we had a, um, a baby girl called Olivia on Sunday morning. So um, this one was, was good, but it was the uh, start early, finish early sort of <laughs> setup. It wasn't uh, as late. So probably last year's was a little bit, uh, a little bit looser. But um, yeah, Naki changing duties really are so yeah, so it's been a big it's been a big couple of weeks for you. So look, last yeah. question before you let you go: Are you going around again next year? Yeah, absolutely. I love it still. I um, I really enjoy it. And um, Westy was asking me straight after the game, "You still coming back next year?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, no, I still really enjoy. It. I love it. And um, yeah, while well, my body's still still good enough, I think I'll keep running around as much as I can. And so Westy's obviously staying around. Yeah, yeah. From my understanding, um, he'll be he'll be there again. So, he, he, which is exciting for I guess us to to, to do it again as a, no, as a sort of team. That's terrific, Mitch. Anything else for Tobbs before we let him go? No, it's been good. I, I still think Tobbs is one of the most underrated players going around the comp. He always has been. Just never quite defined himself whether he's a twelve or a back rower. But, <laughs> but um, I wish I back a bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, you, you might have made the next level like you ever wanted to beat your brother, but um, exactly. no, he's, yeah. But it's been good having you on, Tobs, and congratulations not only on um, on becoming a father and the birth of the little one, but also um, for the three peak, mate. No, I really appreciate it, guys. It's, um, I think this podcast is great, and I, I really enjoy coming on. Hopefully, see you next year, hey? Perfect. Good on you, Tobs. Thanks very much. Thanks, congratulations. See you, mate. Cheers. Bye. So that was Tobias Hoskins, the captain of the victorious Cottesloe Premier Grade team, winning their third straight title. So we'll go straight to the mailbag. And the Western Force coaching stocks have been boosted with the appointment of former Maori All Black Paul Tito as the Fords coach and former Hawks Bay coach Mark Ozich as the attack coach. They'll join fellow Kiwi Chris Goodman, who takes over the Forces Fortescue Academy. He was the academy director behind the Crusaders program for the past six years. And they've also got Nick Hensley in defence and Tim Sampson as the head coach. So uh, plenty of coaches now down at the Western Force, Mitch. Lots of coaches. And noticing there's not too many Australian no. coaches in the ranks there. Are we, are we not yeah. got any coaches being produced in Western Australia or Australia that they could look at? Oh, no. Why do we need? Why do we need to bring in external talent for a program here in Western Australia, Mick? I I don't know. I know Tony Lewis had spent a bit of time with a few of them over in New Zealand. Obviously, rates them very highly, and I guess his job is to get the best that he can guess. But I, I was I didn't want to say anything to um to Tops because he probably doesn't know. But and I don't know where Westy's at at the moment. But and again, I don't know what his involvement is with the uh, the Perth Gold or the. Um, any of those development things, but a coach like like that, surely there's got to be a pathway for him. And that's why I, I don't know. He might be involved. I'm not sure if you know who's coaching any of those um, teams in this elite competition. Well, Alex Stike is coaching the Perth Gold team, and I know he's he's got uh, a team around him. And I know there's a coaching a state coaching panel that will be involved with the development squad in the state 19s. Um, off the top of my head, I couldn't just rattle off all the names, but Dylan Parsons, who's involved with the Western Force Academy, will obviously be involved. I imagine Steve Anderson, as the director of rugby, probably won't do any hands-on coaching, but he'll be thereabouts. Um, but you, you just got to be mindful that we want to, re- as much as we want to retain our best playing talent, we also got to retain our best coaching yeah. talent. And mm-hmm. Australian rugby... If it's got one uh, issue at the moment, it's about 
bringing bringing through that depth of coaching talent as well. I mean, we saw Darren Coleman, he had to ply his trade over in the MLR and then the Waratahs picked him up, but we could have very much lost a guy like Darren Coleman to Australian rugby. Um, you know, there's, there's probably more viable option of Australian coaches playing their trade overseas than there is in Australia at the moment. If we, And I, I just think we've just got to be careful about bringing in too much external talent. I think there's a there's time and a place for it, just like there is for, for players. Mm. But if we start going too much the other way, that can erode the system underneath because, you know, there is coaches out there that are very aspirational and they want to go to the next level. So how do we foster that? Yeah. Um, and, you know... The Western Force keep talking about wanting to develop rugby here in WA and do all these things, but we've just recruited three coaches externally from the system. Yeah. So that's a bit contradictory in my in my book. Yeah, and, and and you want coaches who want to coach as a career, you want to you want to give them that pathway. So someone like like Westy, again, you know, I, I, I don't know he what his, what his ambitions that. are. We don't know, but 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 if he did. If he, if if a coach like him feels I've got to go overseas to get a chance, and they've got a family with you know kids at school, it's a big it's a big ask to make them up. And look, that's what you sometimes have to do. But surely you'd like to think that pathways are there for good local local club coaches to be able to stay in that super rugby system, especially in their own state, or if they've got to travel interstate, no problem. But but surely in their own state, there's got to be a pathway where there is that's the the carrot for the good local coaches that gives them the motivation to keep plying with their trade with that being the end goal for them. Yeah, that's right. And there is some very good coaches um, doing the rounds in WA as, as there is in Brisbane and, and Sydney. So it's not as if Australian rugby is devoid of them. Mm. Um, so I'd be interested to, to, to know what's the point of difference those guys are bringing, mm. bringing to and the table we, and, as far as their coaching expertise. And because you don't want to lose someone like Westy to the club scene either, so it'd, it'd be great. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is, but whether he can be, you know, almost like an, a coach's academy. They've got it for the players, so he's still involved as the coach of of Cot, but he's part of this Western Force coaches academy that he has a role. I don't know on game day or during the week. Again, I, you know, he might have commitments elsewhere, but I don't know if there's any of that stuff around. We should try and get hold of um, one of the coaching people and try and find out if there is a pathway as yeah, well, Brent, one of our guests. Yeah, well, Brendan Logan, those sort of guys would know about that, but we'll, we'll keep our eye out because obviously the, um, the, uh, the elite series is kicking off this Friday. So we'll try and keep an eye hmm. on um, the teams as they're being announced and who's involved in those teams. And um, I haven't seen anything pop up yet about whether or not those games will be live streamed or anything like that, but it'd be great to be able to showcase um, some of those games, you know, the Perth Gold versus a Gold Development Squad, where you've yeah. got some up up and coming young players that aren't in the Force Academy or the 19s, but have missed out on the Perth Gold selection. I'd love to see those kids going up against a um, a, a, a robust senior Perth Gold team and see how it pans yeah. out. I'd also love to see how these WA 19s are going to shape up against seasoned first graders mm. as well. So yeah. that'll be interesting exercise into itself. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a great idea and uh, it's good for them to have a bit of that rep rugby at the end of the back end of the season. Still on coaching, the Wallaroos have appointed Jay Tregoning as their coach uh, leading into next year's Rugby World Cup. He was the assistant coach at the 2014 World Cup and a former Australian schools coach. He said that he's open to working with the Sevens program, which I think is great, but he's also said he's open to his Wallaroos players topping up in other codes as they prepare for the World Cup. Now, is that a good thing? 
or should Rugby Australia be organising more games and a longer Super W season as opposed to letting the girls go to league? Yeah, we've got to be careful about how much how much we use league for our own benefit. I think there's a place for it, but we've got to be careful. We um, we don't cut our nose off to spite our face as far as um, allowing them to go over to league or AFLW because you may not get them back. Exactly, yeah. So, so I think there's a time and a place. I think... You know, he's got to spread the net as far and wide as he possibly can. Um, they've got to seriously look at the Super W and how that provides a good viable pathway. They've got to look at the Sevens program and ensure our best rugby players are all playing the game. And that's, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of quarantining Sevens and keeping the Sevens players over mm. this way if they can play 15s. Like yeah. we should, for, for any international fixture, we should be picking our best the best best available players in the country for the female teams. And I think um, sectioning them off and quarantine them and things like that, I think flaunt with danger in the women's game because we need, we need role models. We need to show that the game's flourishing. We need to provide the pathway and we need up and coming players playing alongside our best. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte Kaslick, for example, if she's available to play 15, she should be playing 15s. Regardless, regardless of what a sevens commitments are, um, because I think we need our best players always playing the game, and yep. I think that's that's really important for the development here. Um, you know, we we noted there's a number of um, good Australian players all playing their trade overseas at the moment. Our mate Ross is um, constantly posting. You know, people like Katie Barnes from WA yep. playing at Saracens, and I think there was a couple of others that went and played in the US through scholarships. If we don't provide the pathway, more and more of that will happen because the other countries who have got these sustainable programs already happening, that's that's where the up-and-coming girls are going to go and we're going to lose that 18 to 23 cohort. Mm. If of they want to play yeah, of good, players. Of yeah. good quality players, if they want to play, they'll just go overseas. They'll pick up a, a, a university scholarship yep. or they'll get a, a contract and travel the world and do what all things good about rugby is. Mm. They'll leave the country and go play the play, trades elsewhere or they'll go and just hoover up a bit of cash at AFLW because they've just increased their number of teams or NRLW because they're playing those, those seasons in the right windows where it's probably attractive for a, a rugby mm. player to actually pick up a bit of cash. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some problems ahead and hopefully that can get sorted out because we do want to keep, as you said, our best players playing rugby and playing here in Australia. Uh, the Wallabies are looking at changing the rules to allow overseas players to come back. Might be something I need to look at for the women. Reports this week are saying that six players have been earmarked for getting back in Wallaby Orange. Uh, Karevi's one, as we know, he's now back. The others are Sean McMahon, Tolu Latu, Rory Arnold, Will Skelton, and then Marika Korombete, who is heading to Japan, and he'll need to be selected from overseas. They're looking at amending the Gitto law, which did require 60 tests. So they're looking at either lowering that to 15 or 20, or another model is they're calling it the 25 and 5 model, which means that any Australian player playing overseas who is under 25 and has played five seasons for a super rugby club is eligible. So what do you think? Do we need to make modifications to the Gitto rule to let these players be eligible? I, I think we do. I think we I think we're at a point in time where we have to we have to we have to look at Japan as being a viable option where players can go and play there and if they've played outstanding rugby, they can go into a wallaby squad with no strings attached. So Sean McMahon, you know, I think he should have been in the wallaby squad because I see it as a real weakness in our team at the moment that we don't have a viable number six that's really killing it. 
he could have he could have been player number six mm. and just abs- giving us another ball running option um, gives us a bit more steel and defensively. Um, I see it as a big plus. You know, we talked about whether or not a Will Skelton or all the guys playing in Europe could fit into the mould. Well, that's that's a bit more complicated because of the contractual arrangements there, but um, certainly viable. But I think lowering the threat, the Gitto Lord, right down to a lower threshold, 20 tests, that's an arbitrary figure. Um, I'm not sure about the 25 and 5, though. That doesn't really make a lot of sense because mm. I think you've got to... You've got to pick guys that you know have represented the country and that can perform at that level. I think yep. if you're going to change the law, it still needs to be, oh, it's not a free-for-all. We just can't pick blokes willy-nilly. I think you've got to pick players that have proven their selection and have pulled the gold jersey on and have plied their trade and proven themselves. I think that's, that's to me, the sort of line in, line in the sand about the law. Yep. Uh, and speaking of Rugby World Cups, England are putting it a bit in for 2031. Uh, so 27 and 31 will be announced in May. As we know, Australia is trying to get to 27, but the US are also in there. They've got bids in both camps. And then talk was floating around this week about having the Rugby World Cup every two years. It's a dumb idea motivated by greed, so we'll move on to another idea. And that was former All Blacks coach Steve Hansen. He's one of the backers of the World 12s, which is rugby's version of the IPL. They want to play it over a three-week period, target 192 players for eight franchises, play an abbreviated format, so 30 minutes of the game in teams consisting of six forwards and six backs with new rules aimed at improving problem areas such as the breakdown and scrum. The IRB have not been officially approached, but they remain sceptical as to where it would fit in the rugby calendar. Would you like to see a three-week rugby version of an IPL, which is basically rugby league? Uh First reaction to this, Mick, when I saw it was, uh, no, no way. What are we doing? Um, and our mate Moose Skegg shared um, a little bit of the rules and the details behind it. And I think David Moffat's sort of throwing this around I, as well yep. um, as a bit of a viable thing. And I, I think it's good to be innovative and, and improve the code. My first reaction was, no, why wouldn't you just do something like this but with 10s? Yeah, that's um, what's, yeah. Um, but then they sort of in the 12s rules and or laws or whatever they're going to call them, there was things like power plays where a team has to drop a player for a couple of minutes and that sort of stuff. I thought that was quite cool. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so why couldn't we do something like that, but either in a 15s or a 10s format? I don't right. think rug, rugby needs another numbers format. We've got sevens, we've got tens, we've got 15s. Yep. You're going to do an IPL type thing. Bring in some innovative, really cool competition sort of rules in one of those formats. Because mm. it does yeah. seem odd to have sevens, tens. I don't know if there's a lot of tens played, but sevens, tens, there's hardly, fifteens. There's hardly any tens played these days. And, and I don't know why, because, um, you know, I think uh, there was a bit of a World Invitational tens played up in uh, Mauritius there for a couple of years. The Western Force sent some teams up there and they, they had teams from all around the world playing the, the World tens. Yeah. Like, that's right. That, I remember that. That was pretty cool. Like, yeah. That was cool. Like, um, And you had all the franchises. I think there was a couple of teams from Japan, teams from New Zealand, a couple That's of teams right. from Australia. Mm. I, I'd prefer that. Or if you're going to do a franchise model, do it with 10s and, mm. and do it as a draft system where you can attach some high-profile international coaches and do it as a bit of a corporate draft and run it that way. And maybe the power plays, you know, you get an extra, you get an extra player or something for the power play or yep. something like that. You flip it on its head, but I reckon it's got merit as a, 
as an innovative way to bring the game, but I think tens format is the way the one to do it with. Because I think one of the one of the um, attractions of the IPL is the fact that you've got you know you can have David Warner and Virat Kohli in the same team, so it'd be great yeah. to to see you know Artie Sevilla playing alongside Michael Hooper, you know, with yeah. Craig Cooper. I think it'd be it would be great and it would bring eyes to it. But it is, and again, as the IRB said, it's trying to find a a, a place in the calendar because with all the welfare stuff they're talking about. Um, and if, if you got, you know, we talked about players playing overseas, how, how the teams they're contracted to would be allowed to let them go. But I think there'd be a fair bit of money thrown at it, like there is for the IPL, and there'd be plenty yeah. of hands going up. But do we need, do we need, you know, with COVID around and all this stuff, do we need so many legs of the World Sevens? Do you, yeah. do you drop it? Do you drop a couple of legs off the World Sevens and turn them into the IPL legs? Yeah, that could that could work. You have six. Say, say if there's ten legs out there, you could have six legs of World Sevens and four legs of IPL ten. IPL. Mm. Yeah, which would be great. I think that'd. I think that'd be good if they can make it fit in. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, it's called the Build Up Elite Series, which kicks off on Friday night. Uh, it's a five match series between Perth Gold, Gold Development, and the Under 19s. So on Friday, it kicks off Perth Gold. Uh, up against the goal development squad at Palmyra Rugby Club. That kickoff is at 7.15. And then the second game is on the Sunday afternoon. So the goal development team, they'll back up and they'll play the under-19s. That's being hosted by the Perth Irish Rugby Club. So uh, plenty of rugby still going on this weekend. And then finally, the junior grand finals are on this weekend. The junior girls kick off Friday night from 6.30 at Kingsway Sporting Complex. And that continues from 9am on Saturday. So good luck to everyone taking part in that well mate i think that'll that'll do us that's been good yeah, having belly and good. belly and tobs on board yep let's hope the wallabies get two in a row angus bell he's my new favorite yep <laughs> so the wallabies yeah so they kick off saturday afternoon i think it's 3 p.m is it five o'clock in in suncorp i think is the time for yeah. the kickoff yes i think so mate so they're hoping to win back-to-back tests for the first time since dave rennie took over so that'll be a great but i think it's going to be tough for them against the Springboks at the Springboks that'll be a bit of a wake-up call for them so it'll be interesting to see how they turn up this weekend so that's on Saturday afternoon and as I mentioned the Junior Grand Final start Friday and go through to Saturday so thanks Mitch thanks again to everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Wrap. <laughs>